I want to invite your attention to a passage found in the book of Philemon, and I want to begin reading there with you in verse 8. Philemon and verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten while in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. For a little while, from this one chapter book here, this letter from the great apostle Paul to Philemon, we want to talk about two things from this story. We want to talk about the qualities of a forgiver, and number two, the actions of forgiveness. We'll simply call our remarks this afternoon, Forgiving a Runaway Slave. Philemon was a Christian in Colossae. Earlier we find that he was converted by the great apostle Paul. His wife's name was Aphia, and his son's name was Archippus. And the Bible says that the church met in their house. You know, Philemon's family evidently was well off, at least enough to own slaves. And one of those slaves was named Onesimus. I don't know how old this slave would have been at the time, but we find that one day in search of his freedom, he decides to flee. Thinking he can go and get lost in the underground of Rome and perhaps blend in as just another faceless runaway. But little did he know, providentially or not, providentially or not, he would, run into the, he would run into one of the greatest preachers the world ever knew. He runs into the great apostle Paul who teaches him the gospel, he believes the gospel, he obeys the gospel, and he becomes a child of God and changes his life forever. Onesimus here, we find, has changed his life. So the Apostle Paul realizes his value and realizes also that he was of great value to him in chains and in bonds. But he realizes he can't keep him. He realizes that Onesimus has unfinished business with Philemon. And he knows he has to send him back. He knows that's what's right. So he writes a letter and he sends him back to Philemon. In this letter, really it's a petition to forgive. It's a plea to forgive. What does society say? What did society say back in those days about runaway slaves? I read three things happened to you when you were a runaway slave. None of them was very good at all. They were all terrible. One of which, and here's the extreme, they were taken to a Roman cross and they were crucified. Remember this morning I said that crucifixion was so awful that the Romans literally shuddered to even think about it or even speak about it. It was a terrible thing. It was so bad that a Roman citizen could never be crucified. We know all that. What have we said for years? We have said crucifixion was for foreign slaves and criminals. That was his fate, perhaps, to be crucified. Secondly, there was another thing that would happen to someone that became a fugitive, a runaway slave. He was taken, he was bound, and he was cast into prison. But thirdly, there was something else. Now, I've got to tell you. I grew up around horses and cattle my entire life. I have branded more calves than I could even count. 
I know what it's like to take a hot branding iron and put it in the fire. I know what it's like to string a calf on the ground and brand him on his hip. I know what that's like. I know the smell of the burning hide and flesh. I know that too. But I can't fathom what was happening to fugitives or runaway slaves back in those times. You know what they would do? They would take a hot branding iron and it would be the letter F. And F represented fugitive. They would take that F and bore it into the forehead of that slave so he would be scarred for the rest of his life. So no matter where he went, everybody knew he's a fugitive and you can't trust him. Terrible things happened to run away slaves. But in contrast to all this, Paul's saying, I want you to forgive him. I want you to forget about it. I want you to forgive him. And really what Paul is saying is, and this is interesting to me, he's expressing his confidence in Philemon. Watch this. He's saying in essence, I know you can forgive Onesimus because you have forgiving qualities. In verse 4, he says, I thank God for you. I know you're someone that can forgive because you have these qualities. Little side note here. I never understood, by the way, I never understood when an older person would withhold praise to someone that was younger that was deserving. I didn't, I've never gotten that. I don't understand that. I've heard older folks say to a younger person, I don't want to give you too much praise because I don't want you to get the big head. What a dumb thing to say. If somebody is worthy of praise, you give them the praise. What is Paul doing here? When he talks about the forgiving qualities that Philemon has, he's giving him legitimate praise. Did you know that legitimate praise is somebody's greatest encouragement? I have people in my life that gave me legitimate praise. Now, I'm not talking about flowery stuff. I'm not talking about fake stuff. I mean legitimate praise that's well-deserved and given. Greatest encouragement. Withheld praise that somebody has coming is somebody's greatest discouragement. Legitimate praise is very important. It becomes two things. Number one, a nourishing food for virtue and a strong antidote against sin. You know why? Because it praises someone for the qualities that they possess and it sets the standard that they need to live up to later on. I'll give you an example. I thought about this just a little bit ago. I'm a little sad. I was talking to Shahi about this. My youngest is 18 and just graduated from high school. I have been a part of my kids' lives, both of them. They're 18 and 21. I've been a part of every single thing they've ever done. I've enjoyed it. I've loved it. Wouldn't have done it another way. But now I'm going to have two in college very soon. And all of those days of having the relationship with a, your young child is gone. All I can hope for next is grandchildren. And that's even better because you can just spoil them rotten and send them back. So that's coming up. But let me give you an example about legitimate praise. What if one of your children goes and there's something that happens and they're going to get in trouble, but they have the courage to stand there on their own two feet, look you in the eye and tell you the truth. They're going to get in trouble, but they tell the truth. When you praise them legitimately for telling the truth, number one, they have it coming. 
Number two, it sets the standard for later on. They want that reputation. They want to continue with that reputation. My dad thinks I'm a truthful, courageous person. And it's an antidote for future sin. The Apostle Paul is giving legitimate praise. It not only is well-deserved, but it's also extremely brilliant. Because he's going to ask him to forgive this runaway slave in just a little bit. Number one, forgiving quality that he says he has. He says, I know you can forgive because of your concern for the Lord. Look at verse 5 I have on the screen. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus. Again, well-deserved compliment, absolutely. But it's extremely brilliant. Paul, in essence, is saying, I know you can forgive Philemon because of your concern for the Lord. You're a faithful member of the body of Christ. You are aware of all the things that the Lord has done for you. You have a desire to honor the Lord in your life because of your love for the Lord. Now, if you look at the, the words up there, you have, it's in the present tense, meaning you continue to have. In other words, this is your reputation. I thank God for you because you continue to have a concern for the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, it says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, God forgives us not because we're deserving, but he does so for Christ's sake. So what does Paul say in Ephesians? He says, forgive one another as God forgives you, and he did so for Christ's sake. Having a concern for the Lord would cause somebody to forgive. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So, the first characteristic of a forgiver is to have a concern for the Lord. Number two, to have your, a concern for people. In verse 5, it says, Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. i got to say something about love. First of all, i got to say what love is not. You know, love is a lot of things. But let me talk about what love is not. Love is not ecumenical. Well, what's that mean? Ecumenical. Ecumenical love is really a denominational or worldly term. And it actually means this. It actually means a, an acceptance of someone... Regardless of what they believe, regardless of what they practice, and regardless of what they teach. Sometimes people say that we should accept people that teach false doctrine because after all, we love them. And love being ecumenical, we accept them. That is not in the Bible. It doesn't say that at all. In fact, the Bible love that we read about is always agape love and it's always commanded love. It's the love that is always attributed to God. A love of service and sacrifice for others. I heard a preacher say one time about love, and I know it's difficult because sometimes, folks, sometimes people are just not going to give you the warm fuzzies. It's the way it is. I heard a preacher say one time, there's some people that you love because you really feel that way. And then there's some people that you love because God said you had to. And that's a fact. The kind of love I'm talking about, though, deals with how you treat people. In fact, that's the difference between love and hate. It's how you treat them. 
You can say that you feel a certain way, but your dem the demonstration of your actions will prove really what you are. It is the outward manifestation of what you are on the inside. So we love or hate someone based upon how we treat them. Agape love. Concern for people. Your love for people, Paul says. Galatians 5 and 6, For in Christ Jesus neither is their circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. In 1 John 3, 14, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Again, you have the capacity to forgive because of your concern for the Lord and your concern for people, but there's more. Thirdly, your concern for fellowship. In verse 6 it says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in Christ Jesus. Now, the sharing of your faith means the joint sharing of one's faith with another. Paul's saying this, I want that joint sharing to become effective. And W.E. Vine says that word means powerful, active in action. It's a matter of having an active faith that has the power to produce. In other words, Philemon will be able to share his faith more effectively if he exhibits the proper spirit in the matter of hand. Now, Barnes says this. He explains that Paul felt that this case was an opportunity for Philemon to show the world how much he was governed by the faith of the gospel. But number four, he also had the capacity to forgive because of his concern for honoring Christ. Verse 6 again, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in Christ Jesus. Some translations say for Christ's sake, and literally in the Greek, it says unto Christ or for him. In other words, the, ch the Christian life, with all of its deeds, with all of its joys, with all of its works, with all of its responsibilities, is for the glory of Christ or for Christ's sake. Now, I want to notice this now. I want to notice the actions of forgiveness. Here's the scene. Notice this scene. First of all, beginning in verse 8, let's read that passage first. Beginning in verse 8, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you as being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, instead of commanding Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he says... I appeal to you out of love. And then he says some other stuff we're going to get to in a minute. Now picture the scene. Picture the scene. Philemon is reading the letter. Standing right in front of him is Onesimus, the runaway slave that had wronged him. Perhaps Tychicus is standing there who brought the letter to the Colossian church. Perhaps he's there as well. But that's the scene. Now... Paul says, I come to you as Paul the aged. What does that mean? Now, if somebody said, I am so-and-so the aged, I'm thinking chronologically you're talking about an old man. You know, scholars tell us that about the time of this writing, the Apostle Paul would have been about 60 years old, they say, thereabouts, give or take. And he's writing to a man, Philemon, that was also about 60 years old, and yet Paul says, I'm coming to you out of love as Paul the aged. What does that mean? 
Now, also, in addition to that, Philemon had a son, Archippus, and he is described in Colossians chapter 4, a son in the ministry. He's a preacher. So you have a man that's old enough to have a son that's a preacher. 60 and 60, the two men, Paul and Philemon. But Paul says, I'm coming to you as Paul the aged. What does that mean? The word aged here carries the idea of age that has been accelerated by experience. I'll give you an example. I rodeoed most of my life until, my, I think the last, as I said at lunch today, the last steer I roped, and the team roping, Tanner was 18 months old, now he's 18 years old. I rodeoed most of my life. There was a story about two bronc riders. One of them was a rookie, just getting started. And the other was an older bronc rider, but he was only really like 30. But he looked old, and he looked weathered, and he looked beaten, had wrinkles on his face. And he's talking to this young bronc rider, and the young bronc rider thinks he has to be at least 60. And he says to him, you know, how old are you? He said, well, son, I'm 30. He said, man, you look way older than that. He said, it's not the years, son, it's the miles. It's about aging by way of experience. That's what Paul was saying. I know for a fact a little bit about that. I know I don't look like an older person, but I know I look a lot older now than I did seven years ago, and cancer did that. I think cancer aged me. I think some of the experiences that we have in life age us. They turn our hair gray. They make our face wrinkled. Sometimes we are aged by experience. That's what Paul was talking about. What else did Paul say? He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. In other words, the experiences that he had. That's what he's talking about. And he's getting to the tender heart of Philemon. And he says, I'm coming to you not by command. And by the way, Paul could have commanded by apostolic authority to say, you take him back. That's the way that it is. And that's what you're going to do. And he doesn't do that. He said, I could have done it that way. But I come to you out of love as Paul, the aged. You know, he kind of rattles the chains a little bit, but then he goes on a little further. If that's not enough, he says, oh, and by the way, I come to you as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that Paul never said prisoner of Rome? He always referred to it as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's appealing to him out of these things. Paul the aged and a prisoner of Jesus Christ out of love. In verse 10, here's the request. All that being said, now here's the request. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten while in my chains. Now, there are three actions of forgiveness. Three actions of forgiveness. Number one is reception. Is reception. Read with me verses 11 through 14. Who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That's my own heart. Whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion as it were, but voluntarily. So why take him back? Why take him back? Because of three things. Watch this. He is repentant. He is transformed. And he is proven faithful. Three things. He is repentant, he's transformed, 
and he has proven faithful. Now, you might say, no, wait a minute. Where does it say repentance? Where does it say that there's repentance there in the life of Onesimus? I think it's implied. It's implied twofold. Number one, it's obviously implied in the very fact that he's now a Christian. Repentance is a changing of the mind that leads to a change of life. It's a matter of changing your heart, and that's the mind. The very fact that he was a Christian now demonstrates that he is different, that he is changed, that he is repentant. I think by his actions he's done that. Remember John the Baptist said to the scribes and Pharisees to show the fruits of repentance and not just say the words. You know, my father, Shahi's grandfather, I never really paid attention. I never really realized how much I was listening to my father over the years when he was guiding me and raising me. And some of the things I have to freely admit to you, some of the things that my father said to me over the years, um, I didn't like hearing like I'd go and make a mistake or I would do something and perhaps I would do it over and over and over again and then I would come to my dad and I'd say, ah, sorry, dad. And my dad would say things like, why don't you be sorry before you do it? Or, or, time will tell if you really are sorry because it will manifest itself in better behavior. Listen, I believe in the philosophy, I believe in the concept that we are what we are. Absolutely. I tell my kids that. I've told them that their whole life. You are what you are. Why? Because you do what you do. Man, my kids hated hearing that. But you know what? Then I tell them, you know what? If you don't like the reality, change the reality. And you can do that. But you are what you are because you do what you do. That's what my father was saying. In time, it'll show if you really are sorry because you keep doing the same thing over and over. In time, it'll show if you really are repentant and you've really made the change. Another thing I used to hate hearing my dad say is this. Are you sorry really or are you sorry you just got caught? My father was pretty brilliant at the time. I didn't think he was, but he was pretty brilliant. This man is changed in his behavior. And that brings us to the second part right there. And that is he's transformed. He's transformed. Paul says, receive him back. Take him back because he's repentant. And secondly, he's transformed. In verse 11, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. In other words, he's not the same guy. You know what's interesting about the words in English? Useless. And useful they kind of sound similar but they're different okay you know they had a, a name for slaves too and you know what's interesting in the Bible is usually Bible names meant something we can go back to various when Rachel gave birth and to a son she died in childbirth and son was called Benoni or son of my sorrow later changed to Benjamin son of my right hand what about Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, his name actually means dispeller of shame, which I don't understand because he was really the object of shame. But names in the Bible usually meant something. Did you know that the word Onesimus also means something? It actually means useful. I understand too that with slaves, 
with slaves back then, if they would have a useful slave, they would be given the nickname Onesimus. In other words, he is useful. And if over a period of time they continued to be such, they actually bore that name in a permanent way. What he's saying is he's transformed. He was not useful to you before, but he is useful to you again. Onesimus. Now, why? Because he's transformed and he's profitable for you. He can serve you in the right manner for the right reasons. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. And by the way, this would have been brought at the same time, this letter, 22 and 23. Listen to this. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So Paul is telling Philemon that Onesimus is now useful because he's now living up to his name. Why? He's transformed. He's repentant. He's not the same guy. But number three, he's proven faithful. Proven faithful. Verse 12. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. And then it says, that is my own heart. All right. Got to make a point about heart. That's from the New King James. Now, sometimes people say this, things like this. They say, I know what the Bible says, but I just feel it in my heart. Okay. That's not the heart of the Bible. The heart of the Bible deals with the person's intellect. In fact, the heart of the Bible thinks, reasons, believes, and obeys, among other things. That's what the heart of the Bible is. So a person that changes their heart is a person that changes their mind. It is not a better felt than told process. Okay, that's the heart of the Bible. That's not what this word is. When Paul said in the New King James, that is my, I want you to receive him back because of all those things, that is my own heart, that's not the same word. In fact, the King James, I think, is a better translation of that word. It says, that is mine own bowels. In other words, it refers to the deepest feeling in your heart. It'd be the same thing if I went up to Shahe and I said, Shahe, I'm asking you to do this. I know it's difficult, but I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart. That's exactly what Paul's saying. That's what he says when he says, that is mine own heart. That word in the Bible when it's used is always referring to the deepest part of a man's emotion. Not the heart of the Bible, different word. Verse 13, watch this. Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains. Paul said, even though I keep him here for myself, I would love to keep him here for myself, I can't do that. You know, I think what he's saying is too, he is so valuable, this ex-slave of yours. He is so valuable and useful that he helped me in my chains just as if it was you that was there doing the very same thing. I counted as if it was you. He's transformed. He's proven faithful. But in verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might be by compulsion as it were, but voluntarily. So the reason you should receive him, he's repentant, transformed 
and proven faithful. But the second part, the second action of forgiveness is restoration. Restoration. Beginning in verse six, uh, 15. For perhaps he was departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in my flesh and in the Lord. Now, commentators will say that the entire thing that happened was providential. And why not? Why could it not be? Surely it could be providential. I heard Joe Heisel say one time, Recently, he said everything's providential. He said the difference between coincidence and providence is coincidence is providence incognito. Okay. I'll accept that. Why could it not be providential? But even still, if it wasn't, it at least is saying he departed for a while... And it was a good thing that he departed for a while because now he's a faithful member of the body of Christ. He's a Christian and I'm sending him back to you to be restored, a brother in Christ. In fact, where it says restored forever or receive forever always means eternally. In other words, you now have this relationship with him in this life and also for eternity. It's at least that. Now, here's the third one, and this one's hard. Here's the third one. The third and final one, restitution. Verses 17 and 18, if you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Now, there's a wrong done, obviously, and it needs to be made right. Whatever Philemon, Philemon is out financially, he's got it coming back to him. And what would he have been out financially? Well, number one, there would be the price that he paid for Onesimus the first time, the price of the slave. Number two, it would have been the price of his replacement. Now, we can read back when Joseph was sold into slavery. He was sold by his brothers for 20 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. When Jesus was betrayed, he was betrayed and sold for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. I read at the time of this writing that the price of a slave would have been about 500 denarii or 500 days wages. So, he would have been out... At least the price that he paid for Onesimus, the price that he paid to replace him, but there's more. Do you know during this time, there was a, it was very common that people that had slaves, people that had slaves, sometimes those slaves would prove themselves to be worthwhile and worthy over time, and they would free them. In fact, in a 30-year period, 500,000 slaves were released to Rome. So, you know what Rome said? Rome said, so it doesn't become an overwhelming problem to us. you got all these homeless slaves coming into Rome. This is what you're going to do. And it was under the idea of manumission. It was the idea of the freeing of the slaves. This is what you're going to do. You can free the slave, but you owe 5% tax on his value. You had to pay taxes. So can't you see, watch this. The price of Onesimus, the price of his replacement, and the taxation he would have paid... As a result, he is at least out all of that. 
Now, some commentators would say that Onesimus stole money from Philemon on the way out the door, and that's what he meant when he says what he owes you. There, there's, there's no evidence of that to me. There's no evidence. But Philemon is out some stuff, right? And here is this slave, and he's got nothing. But he's a Christian now, and Paul sends him back and says, accept him back. You know, restitution is, has always been important. You remember when Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, you know, he was a tax collector. He was a publican. And Zacchaeus, as it climbs that sycamore tree to see the king, to see Jesus. You remember what Zacchaeus said? It says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Paul is saying, if you consider me a partner, which means a fellow Christian, then receive him as you would me. And if he has wronged you or owes you anything, I love this. He says, put that on my account. Don't you see a little picture here? Can't we see a little picture? In this little scenario, Philemon represents the one that's wronged. In this little scenario, from a spiritual perspective, it represents God who has been wronged. Onesimus run, represents the sinner that ran away from God. God has been wronged. God is wronged when we sin. There had to be somebody to pay the price. Paul represents Jesus Christ in this when he says, put it on my account. And incidentally, I like what somebody said one time. He said, you never become more like God than when you forgive. And you never become more like Jesus than when you pay the price for somebody else. Paul said he's got nothing. I want you to take him back because he's repentant, he's transformed, he's proven faithful, he's a faithful friend. He had to leave for a time, providentially, probably. He had to leave for a time that you can receive him forever. Not only in this life as a fellow Christian, but also in the life that is to come eternally. Receive and forgive this runaway slave. In closing this afternoon, you know, we don't hear anymore about Philemon. We only hear about his son, Archippus. But I believe that he forgave Onesimus. I believe that he restored him. I believe he forgave his debt. And by the way, you know when the Bible says to owe no man anything? I'm going to close with this. But when the Bible says, owe no man anything but to love one another, you know, there's, a, there's something in there that we have to look at. When it says, owe no man anything, it's talking about debts. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't pay on credit. It doesn't mean you cannot pay over time. I've heard people interpret it that way. You can't owe anything. You have to pay cash for everything. That, that's not what that means. What it means is we have to honor all of our debts. We have to honor all of our obligations. So when it says, owe no man anything, it means I'm going to honor my obligations to a person that I owe it to, and I'm going to pay on it for the rest of my life until it's paid off. But then it says... 
But to love one another, that is the debt that we pay that we will never pay off forever. Forever. Now, if somebody says, I'll just use Shahe. If Shahe, I owed Shahe money, and I said, I can't pay, and he said, pay me a dollar a month, and I do, I've satisfied that debt. But what if Shahe says, that's okay, you don't owe it. I forgive you the debt. Okay? I'm not liable, and I'm off the hook in that regard. He forgave me the debt that I could not pay. From a spiritual perspective, folks, this is really the entire point. Jesus paid a price he didn't owe because we had a debt we couldn't pay. In this scenario, in this scenario, he was a runaway slave that couldn't pay his debt either. Paul said, put it on my account. Forgiving a runaway slave.